0: to Let's Talk Family Law, a podcast focusing on all aspects of family law. Now to our attorneys to tell you about today's featured episode. Hello and welcome to the latest installment of Weber Gallagher's Family Law Podcast Series. My name is John Zerzola and I am a partner here at Weber Gallagher. I'm a family law attorney and Weber Gallagher has offices um, for our family law clients in Philadelphia, King of Prussia, and Westchester to allow us to service the five-county Philadelphia area. In family law, um, we have many podcasts here um, that folks can listen to, um, but I always like to remind everybody that in um, in the area of family law, we're talking about a couple of different types of cases. We're talking about divorces, obviously, Um, child support, alimony, prenuptial agreements, child custody, adoption. I could probably go on. However, today we're going to be focusing about child custody. We're going to be focusing on child custody um, because that normally is a very um, contentious part of any kind of a family law case, whether it starts out as a divorce or it starts out as a domestic violence issue. Um, or just even a routine separation between parties, child custody um, normally comes into play. Now, before I say uh, that or suggest that it's always a nightmare, child custody, I should probably say that child custody can go very easily. Um, Issues of scheduling, um, issues of uh, physical custody, who has the child, and we're going to talk about all that stuff. Um, It doesn't have to be contentious. Um, I am going to go through uh, this presentation today and try to explain all the steps to you in a hypothetically uh, contentious case, one that literally starts out with a disagreement and goes all the way to court so people can get a a court order. Um, I think if I do that, it'll give you a real good handle of um, what to expect and most importantly might help explain some of the things that you may be reading online as you're doing your investigation um, on these issues. So with that, let's jump right into it. I'm going to try to um, start with some basic definitions, um, basic things that we should probably understand before we start talking about the process of going to court um, and having a child custody dispute. <clears throat> so the, some of the, the basic things you, you really need to know is that custody is meant to convey a few different things, and literally this is right in the law. Um, there's legal custody there's physical custody. And then within uh, physical custody, um, it breaks down a little bit even further into issues of shared primary custody or partial custody. Visitation is also a term that is used quite often. So let's go and define those really quickly legal custody is the right to make major decisions on behalf of the child including but not limited to medical uh, religious and educational decisions so these these kinds of this kind of custody this kind of ability to make um, decisions for the child has to do with exactly the things that were enumerated medical treatment decisions um, issues of religious training um, and issues of education Um, things like that. If a child is entitled to an estate, maybe a parent is, uh, you know, has money for the child or maybe the child was given money or something like that. Something like that would also come under the area of legal custody. Your ability as a parent to make decisions or to share in the decision making having to do with those things. Is my child going to go to Catholic school, public school? Um, You know, my child fell down and has to go to the emergency room. Um, you know, I should be called uh, so I could make a decision on that if I'm the other parent and I wasn't in physical custody of the child. Parent has the ability to, 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 to be involved in that part of the child's life. The second big term, and this is what people normally think of when they're talking about custody of children, is physical custody. Physical custody is defined the actual physical possession and control of a child. This is literally, you know, having the child where you are, where the child's living, um, where the child eats, uh, sleeps, uh, you know, the child's address for purposes of school, things like that. Who has the child is physical custody. Now, within physical custody, we talk a lot about primary and partial custody. Uh, Primary physical custody, the right to assume custody of the child for the majority of the time. So it basically just means that who has the child more than the other parent And it actually is defined as the overnights that that parent has. So in a 14-day period, let's say, because sometimes custody schedules vary week on, week off, and we're going to talk about that a little bit. But in a 14-day, if you took a snapshot of that, literally how many overnights does one parent have or how many overnights does the other parent have? If one parent has one more overnight than the other parent, It is said that that parent has primary physical custody. Um, Partial custody is what the other parent has. So if one parent has six uh, days in a 14-day period and one parent has eight days, the one with eight days has primary physical custody, the other parent has partial. A lot of times this can be considered shared custody, but shared custody many times connotes sort of uh, 50-50 custody, literally straight down the middle, 14-day period. One parent has seven days, and the other parent um, has the other seven overnights. Um, And and 50-50 custody is something we're going to talk about, um, and it's what a lot of people sort of request. Then, of course, there's cases where one parent is said to have sole physical or legal custody. Sole is, is just what it sounds like. The other parent does not have either any time with the child physical custody, or sole legal custody, the other parent does not have the right to make any decisions or be consulted with respect to religious, um, educational, and medical decision making. All right. And these are all the different things that one can ask for in a contested custody case uh, when they go to court. I'm filing for primary physical custody. I'm filing for partial physical custody. I'm filing for sole physical custody, things like that. The next big section uh, that we want to talk about before we really get into uh, the process is it's another concept called standing. Okay. And it's a little bit confusing and I'm going to try to break it down uh, very easily. uh, And it's probably going to be common sense. People that have the ability to request custody are said to have standing. Okay. And I'll I'll illustrate this with a pretty uh, crazy example. Certainly you as a father, have the ability to say, I want custody of my child, okay? But somebody that lives down the street or one of your friends that has no connection with the child, that person isn't really said to have the ability or the standing to file a custody complaint and say they want custody, all right? That's pretty, that's pretty silly of an example, but it's, it's good to talk about it like that because, of course, the disputes arise when the, the relationship is a little bit different, Okay, so the law literally says the following people may file an action uh, for custody. A parent of the child, we talked about that. A person who stands in loco parentis to the child, and that's a legal term, that's a Latin term. Or a grandparent of the child, okay? Um, Grandparent is easy. It's the grandparent of the child, and we'll talk a little bit about how a grandparent can can request custody. Um, In loco parentis is essentially... A person who is not related to the child, might be related to the child, but has but is, is doing the parenting for some reason in that child's life or in your family situation, somebody took responsibility for that child and they did the heavy lifting. They did the work to raise the child. Happens a lot. There's aunts, there's uncles, there's folks that can't raise their children for some reason and sometimes a family member or a family friend steps in and basically does this. The idea of whether the this individual, this third party, stands in loco parentis to the child um, is a question of fact. You're gonna, the court's going to take a look at what did you do? I mean, were you with this child every day for three years? Where was the parent? You know, what did you do? Did you uh, raise the child? Did you feed the child? Did you do the child's homework? Things like that. Maybe everybody in the community knows that basically that's the child that you're raising. Um, that's a question And a lot of times when you go to court and you're you're fighting about that, people have different opinions. Grandparents uh, requesting custody is a little bit different. Um, There are a few hoops for grandparents to jump through. In fact, it's, it's so complicated at times, it probably is a good reason to have a podcast or an article, and certainly there's a lot of articles out there, that's dedicated directly to grandparents' rights. Grandparents' rights since I've been doing this for 20 years has changed once or twice, and they're always um, restricting uh, and then giving uh, different rights to grandparents um, and changing the law to uh, to uh, define when a grandparent has this, what I called, standing. Okay, so that is basically the, the, the basics. Those are the terms that we're going to need to know before we start to talk about a custody case. Um, so now we'll talk about um, basically the procedure. It should be known before you start thinking about filing in court or before you see yourself in court, um, litigating any kind of custody issues that there's a few things, a few rumors we need to, to dispel. Um, first of all, there is no presumption in the law between a mother and a father that presumes that one person is automatically going to get custody or one person is better at raising children. The Literally, there's a, a section in the law, in the statute, that talks about child custody, and it's lengthy. Um, it basically says there is no presumption with respect to a mother or a father. Inter- interestingly, there's no presumption between two people, third parties. So if, you know, let's say the parents are dead, or let's say for some reason the parents haven't raised these children, and there are two third parties um, like a grandparent or like an aunt or something like that, that, is, that are fighting over um, physical custody. There's no presumption between those two people. There is, however, a presumption in favor of granting someone custody when the dispute is between a parent and a third party. That makes sense, doesn't it? So, for instance, if a father comes in and says, you know, I want custody of my child for whatever reason, the person that was raising this child or me, um, is or isn't able to do it anymore, and you have a uh, a dispute with an aunt or an uncle or a friend or something like that, the law is going to go ahead and presume that they're going to begin looking at the case as if the father should get custody or the mother should get custody if it's between a, a mother and a father and a third party. And that makes all the sense in the world. The the dispute come down comes down to when you're in court, that third party does have the ability to put on a case um, and what's what's it's called is rebut the presumption that the father or the mother is the best person to raise this child and there are cases when the third party is awarded custody when the facts whatever they might be um, let the judge know that it would be in the best interest of the child to award custody to this third person okay so now you, uh, you know everything there is to know about custody and what the terms mean. Now you're getting ready to go to court because you can't, for whatever reason, work out your custody case with your significant other, um, and you need to go to court and have a custody order uh, or request a custody order. Basically, this, like many other areas of the law, starts out with the filing of a complaint. It's like a lawsuit, um, just like you see in a car accident or anything else. There's a plaintiff the person who files the lawsuit. There's a defendant, the person who uh, didn't file the lawsuit. First, um, the the defendant has the ability to file their own complaint or their own uh, cross-complaint, and there's all kinds of things that can be done. But just like any other lawsuit, there's a plaintiff, there's a defendant, and you're going and you're commencing a lawsuit in a court somewhere, maybe in Montgomery County or Chester County um, or Philadelphia. So it starts with the filing of a complaint. After the filing of a complaint, and just like you see in any other lawsuit or on TV, the complaint has to be served uh, by either a process server or uh, by mailing, and sometimes the person uh, who gets the complaint will accept service of the complaint. They'll say, okay, I got it. Let's go to court. At that time, a lot of people hire attorneys or they have already have an attorney um, on retainer that they give this complaint to, and then the case starts. Now, in Pennsylvania, each county, and even within the five county Philadelphia area, has different procedures for how they manage their custody case load, their custody dockets. Um, Sometimes you, you don't get right to a judge. In fact, oftentimes you don't see a judge. In fact, in some counties, like Montgomery County, there are some steps you have to go through before you even get to the first step at court. Um, When you file your complaint, sometimes you have to go to mediation. The court might force you to go to a mediator, a third party, like a psychologist or something like that, that sees you for the first time and maybe tries to get a handle on the issues and maybe tries to work out a schedule. The courts feel that if they can get people to these professionals or get somebody to, to talk to them where they might not be talking in the first place, they might be able to prevent these cases from going to court and making it basically easier on the families and the court, frankly. The court doesn't want to have 2,000 custody cases that they have to hear. Um, The court might mandate that you go to a parenting class. You might have to go to some kind of a a lecture on effective parenting, so that maybe uh, in addition to mediation, parents will, will hear about some skills they might be able to employ in order to make their disputes either go away or a little bit easier. Remember, Um, A lot of this stuff uh, affects children uh, the whole time, uh, whether the parents are fighting in front of the children in the home or the parents split up and they're fighting about custody. Um, The children know all these things. A lot of these uh, pre-court programs are meant to try to let parents know that this is something that's affecting their children and maybe they should try to uh, to accept their new situation, uh, move on, and get a schedule and parent. Um, But that doesn't happen, does it? Um, And cases wind up in court. So after the complaint, the other side could file an answer. They could file other things, which we'll talk about. But generally, after those steps, you get to see a conference officer or a conciliator or maybe a master in some counties. Um, You get to see somebody that's employed by the court to Resolve or enter temporary orders in custody cases. So now you're in court. You might have done the mediation, you might have done the parenting class. Now you're there in court. Maybe the two attorneys are there. The kids generally aren't. And this is going to be the court system's first real ability to take a look at you and find out what the disputes are. Maybe there'll be some opportunity to be heard. Maybe the attorneys will talk. Maybe uh, the conciliator or the conference officer needs to get some basic facts to see if this is a case where a child might be at risk or the one, the one parent is just simply denying custody to the other parent. These conciliators and these uh, conference officers have a lot of power at this stage to enter orders that are temporary just to sort of fix what's happening in that situation. Um, So sometimes people go to court and they'll leave with some kind of a custody order they have to follow. Sometimes they won't. Sometimes there's even another procedure after the custody uh, conciliator or the the initial conference to where you get to see somebody else. Like in Philadelphia, for instance, um, you get to see a master. Um, Now this person is usually a lawyer that's employed by the court and they have even more power than the conference officer has. The masters get the ability to actually make decisions with respect to the contested issues in your case so whereas the first level that you went to um, is a conference um, and they might not have a lot of power or they might they might make reports to a judge Um, in philadelphia the master has the ability to make decisions the master has the the ability to foist a schedule upon you mom you're going to have the child wednesday thursday and friday That You guys are going to split the weekends and dad is going to have Monday and Tuesday or something like that. They have a lot of power to make actual decisions about scheduling, about issues of legal custody, et cetera, et cetera. Now, we haven't been to a judge yet. We've been to a conciliator. We've been to a master. Um, It's not over at the master's level. You still have the ability to challenge whatever a conciliator or a master has um suggested to you or has made you do or foisted upon you you get to see a judge at some point in the system in pennsylvania um sometimes when you get an order from a master you might uh have to do what's called taking exceptions which is like an appeal you might have to file something and if you don't file it whatever the master said will become a court order Um, so Now you've done whatever you needed to do, and your lawyer will certainly know what to do, in order to get up to a judge. Sometimes, unfortunately, and anybody that's been through this process will begin shaking their head after I say this, sometimes this date that you get in front of a judge might be months and months and months after your initial contact with the court. Again, this might help explain why there's all these steps before you get to a judge for the court to sort out certain disputes. Um, so that people don't go without seeing their children or children don't go without having things that they really need. Um, And sometimes even before your hearing or your trial is scheduled, there's a lot of disputes and there's a lot of issues that go on while you're waiting for your hearing to be heard. Maybe there was some kind of an order that you're both supposed to follow and maybe one person just isn't doing it. Well before the trial, someone could have the ability to file for what's called contempt. Uh, They'll say that we have this custody order, this is what we were told to do, the other side's not doing it, I want them found in contempt. And if a person is found in contempt, um, there are some severe penalties. They could take away um, the children from the other side, they could impose other sanctions, and it could even go as far as incarceration if you're found in contempt of a court order. Um, or a contempt of a custody order, is what we say. There's a lot of other reasons, too. You might need to get into court in your custody case before the trial, before really the big issues are sorted out, like where this child's going to live permanently or where this child's going to go to school, the big issues. If your hearing's not for nine months, um, there might be emergencies that pop up. Maybe one side says, you know, the other child's being harmed. Maybe it's just something as simple as, you know, the mother isn't transporting the child in an appropriate car seat. You know, these are these are things that really need to be heard by somebody before you get to your hearing in nine months or a year or something like that. There might be time-sensitive issues, like the child might need a passport and the other side might not be... Um, uh, willing to, to, to sign for it. Travel issues. Maybe the, the, the person wants to go on vacation and the order says that the other person needs to give consent and the other person isn't responding to emails or whatever. These are things that happen every day in a custody case. There might be medical issues. There might be an, um, a, uh, a procedure, an elective procedure that a child needs and the other parent isn't giving their consent. School issues. Things that can't wait might be able to be heard by the court in a custody case before the trial trial. Um, And then we talked about issues of um, folks just not following the order. Okay, so you've gone through all this, okay, and you are in your custody case, you're in the middle of it. You've been to court once or twice, either to see the conciliator, the master, or maybe you saw the judge once or twice because of these issues that start popping up. And now it's coming to your trial date. The trial date that's going to decide, you know, where these children, who will have primary physical custody, who will have shared legal custody, where the children will go to school, what days is the other parent going to be able to see the child, the big issues in the case. The statute or the law in the case now provides some guidance on what the judge, frankly, has to look for in order to determine um, what what these what the answer to these questions are. The overriding standard that the judge in a custody case um, is supposed to be looking for is what's in the best interest of the child, best interest of the child. And that's pretty common standard across the United States. Um, and it makes sense, right? The judge is is there not to find out how horrible one parent is or how horrible the other parent is. They're there to find out exactly what. Is really in the child's best interest with respect to you know the child having a good life. What parent um, can do a better job, or what's better for the children? Now, with under that best interests um, standard, the court has written down um, fifteen or sixteen, frankly, factors that the court must consider. Okay, in fact, the law says the court shall consider. The court doesn't have a, um, a decision um, to make without going through these factors. The court just can't eyeball two parties and say, you know what, I think, I think this, child, this parent's going to do a better job, so I'm going to go ahead and award custody to that parent. It doesn't work that way, um, and it never really did. <clears throat> so the court is supposed to look at these factors. I'm going to go through the factors very quickly, but there's 16 of them. And after you present your entire custody case, The judge is supposed to look at all the information that they received, all the documents they received, all the testimony from the witnesses that have been heard, and the judge is supposed to take all those facts and fit those into these factors. The first factor is which party is more likely to encourage and permit frequent and continuing contact between the child and another party. All right, so the judge is going to hear your story, and the judge is going to make a decision all right, so if I award custody um, to one parent, is that parent going to encourage the child to go with the other parent? Or is that parent going to say, uh, I'm trying to ruin the relationship between the other parent and the child? The court's going to look at that. And if the court finds that you are more likely to encourage and permit frequent contact with the other parent, the court may think that you are the one that deserves primary physical custody. The second factor is the past and present abuse committed by a party or a member of the party's household, whether there is a continued risk of harm to a child or an abused party, and which party can better provide adequate physical safeguards and supervision. All right, I would read that again if it wasn't so long, but there's a lot there. Um, The court is going to listen to stories of abuse in the home, not just abuse of a child, but abuse between the parents, or if there's an uncle living in the home, or if there's an adult child living in the home, any kind of stories or any kind of incidents of abuse, even if it had nothing to do with the child, that might affect this child's life are going to be relevant in the custody case. So if your home um, is said to be a toxic environment, then maybe the court will look at that and say, I believe the best interests of this child lay in the child living in the other home, in the boring home. Um, All kinds of things the judge can um, look at, but they have to look at that if there's testimony or if there's evidence of past or present abuse. The next factor would be the parental duties performed by each party on behalf of the child. This one sounds really easy, but actually it can really be one of the biggest factors in um, a custody case. Who does the hard work? Who's the one that takes off on the day that the child is sick? Who's the one that's making dinner every night? Who's the one doing the homework? Who's the one that goes to all the parent-teacher conferences? Who's the one that knows the teachers by name and the doctors? Does the other part party even know any of this stuff? Um, parental duties, um, you know, literally, and and at the at the different age of a child, you can expect that these questions will be different. If if we're talking about a two-year-old child, we're going to talk about issues of toileting. Um, changing diapers, um, buying clothes, uh, things like that. It, it's going to go, it's going to run the gamut. Um, if you're talking about a 16-year-old here, we could be talking about the, the one who's literally making sure the child stays out of trouble or gets straight A's in school. They're going to want to talk about the relationship at that point between that child and the parent. Parental duties are huge, and it, and it makes sense that they are. The next factor would be the need for stability and continuity in the child's education, family life, and community life. There's going to be a lot of fa- there's going to be a lot of testimony, rather, a lot of evidence that might go towards this. But this one's sort of a feeling, isn't it? The judge is going to look at the whole situation and say, you know what, this child's more stable in the other home. The continuity of the child's education. There's one there's one house that eight people live in, and the child shares a bedroom uh, with somebody else. And then there's another house that's a two-bedroom apartment. The child's going to get it their own room. Maybe it's closer to school. Depends on the facts of your case, but the judge is going to look for issues of stability and um, community life. The next factor is the availability of extended family. Sometimes people have support systems that are able to be employed for free. Maybe your aunt or maybe your mother is completely available to assist you with raising a child. That's an important factor. When, if custody is awarded to the other person, they might have to pay for all these things. The child might have to go to daycare. Think of a situation where we have an infant. Um, uh, the parties uh, had a child, the child's six months old, it's time for one parent or both parents to go back to work. Um, think of a situation where awarding custody to one parent means that the child has to go to daycare every day. or. Awarding custody to the other parent, maybe just logistically, how far they live from each other, um, means that the child can be raised by extended family, and there's no costs, and it's a safer environment. Things like extended family are going to make a lot of difference in custody cases. Um, the child's sibling relationships is another factor, all right? Are there other kids in the home? Um do these parents want to split up the kids? The court doesn't favor that, by the way. The court favors keeping families intact, if at all possible, not splitting children up. So if, um, you know, there's a, there's, there's a home where the, the children enjoy their sibling relationships, they're close to the other siblings, um, that's going to be a factor that the court can t- uh, considers heavily. Next factor is the well-reasoned preference of the child based on the child's maturity and judgment. Okay. So these are the cases we're talking about teenagers, maybe even kids as as young as 12. There's no set rule about that. The interesting takeaway for this factor is that it has to be a well-reasoned preference. The child will have to express their preference. I want to be with dad, but there's got to be some meat behind that. There's got to be some reasons. Um, I can't get my homework done in the other house. I feel safer with my dad, I have a better relationship with my dad, my mom makes me feel bad about myself. Things like this. Custody cases are real personal, by the way. There's going to be a lot of dirty laundry that comes out in a custody case. If a child that's an appropriate age determined by the judge can express a well-reasoned preference, the judge is going to look at that um, very heavily. Other factors, I'll go through them a little bit um, quicker. The attempts of one parent to turn the child against the other parent. Judges are going to look at that. Next factor, which party is more likely to maintain a loving, stable, consistent, and nurturing relationship with the child, adequate for the child's emotional needs? So now we're getting a little esoteric here, or we might have a psychologist testifying about what this child needs emotionally. Does the child have any kind of mental health issues? Or is just one parent simply more nurturing than the other parent? And the judge can think that that is better for the child. Um, The next factor, uh, which factor, uh, which party rather, is more likely to attend to the daily physical, emotional, and developmental, educational, and special needs of the child. All right, now we see the factors kind of overlapping a little bit. Doesn't matter. The judge has to address all these if they're relevant to the case. The proximity of the residences of the parties, okay, that's going to mean something. If the parents live in two different states, that's one thing. If the parents live in Philadelphia, three streets away from each other, maybe 50-50 custody is appropriate, equidistant to the school. Every case is different, but they're going to look at that, how far the parents live away from each other. Next factor, each party's availability to care for a child or the ability to make appropriate child care arrangements. Okay. So basically, who's able to actually do this? Okay. If you, if you, if you come into court, and you're somebody that leaves the house at 6.30 every day, okay, and you don't get home from work till 5.30, but you stand up and you tell the judge uh, completely sincerely that you want primary physical custody of your child, or you want 50-50 custody of your child, the court's going to look at you and they're going to say, how are you going to do it? I mean, you can't do it. What, are you going to quit your job? Sometimes you just can't do these things. So your ability to to parent the child or your ability to make appropriate childcare arrangements is a really big factor. Some people just can't do it. Their their life is in the way. Um, And it worked real great when they were intact. And one parent was out working and the other parent worked, you know, uh, two blocks away from the home. Sometimes it's easy, but when you split up, it's hard. The next factor, we're on 13, by the way, the level of conflict between the parties. Um, Huge. Every case. Okay. The level of conflict between the parties rears its ugly head. Sometimes the court's going to take a look at two parents and basically just say, this person hates the other person and they're going to do whatever they can, sometimes even putting the child in the middle in order to get at the other parent. If the court finds that you're somebody that's doing that, the court might turn around and decide that you're not the person that deserves any kind of significant time or primary physical custody with the child. The history of drug and alcohol abuse is relevant, and the mental and physical condition of a party or a member of a party's household, okay? Mental health histories are important. Um, Physical condition, sometimes we have grandparents that want custody, okay, and they're just not able to do it. They might be too old. There was a case in Philadelphia about 10 years ago where um, basically all this child had was two loving grandparents, but they were really, really old, and the judge um, did not want to do it but he was unable to award custody, or primary custody anyway, to the grandparents. All right, so that was long. There's a lot of factors there. But what it means is, and what the legislature, what the state wants, is that judges are not making arbitrary decisions. Judges have to hear the custody case, they have to hear the evidence, and they have to fit the evidence into those factors and explain why they made their decision to give custody to one parent as opposed to the other, by using those factors. So it provides some definiteness to the parties, to the lawyers, to everybody involved, that the judge made a well-reasoned decision because they were forced to uh, consider these issues. All right. So you had your trial, um, and you're going to get a custody order. It might come that day. It might come after the court takes it under advisement. It might come after the judge needs to hear from other witnesses. Um, sometimes custody cases don't all happen in one day. Sometimes the courts are really busy and your custody case takes place over five months with four different dates. Um, again, we're looking at the best interests of the child and the courts have some wide latitude in uh, in order to decide how they're going to conduct the trial. After that, an order will come and that will establish what what the situation is all right after the order comes sometimes we find out people aren't doing what they're supposed to or maybe the situations change somebody moves the children begin to go to a different school they were in grade school and now they're in high school maybe the children make a decision that they don't like it where they are and they want to go somewhere else custody cases and custody orders are always modifiable so we talked before about when you start your custody case you file a complaint Uh, Now you have an order. You've been to court. Now you're going to file a petition to modify your court order. Um, You're going to articulate in your position, um, your petition, what has changed, why the court needs to take a look at this situation again, and why the court needs to change the custody order. Maybe you only want a small change. Maybe Wednesdays aren't working out, okay, and you guys can't agree, Um, You might have to file a petition to modify and you might have to go through the entire process that I just described again before the court changes an order conciliation masters motions all kinds of things like that. That really is in a sense an overview of a typical child custody case in Pennsylvania. Hopefully this will explain things that you've heard um, things that your attorney has told you or things that you're reading on the Internet in order to, um, to make sense of a lot of what's going on. A lot of information there. I do want to cover some other issues that are really, really important um, in this context, um, but would have been a little bit too uh, distracting to go to, through in the beginning. Um, within the, the custody case, um, there's a lot of things that the court gets to be distracted on. There's issues that come up, and there's uh, things that the court has to pay attention to. Courts are forced to consider criminal convictions of another party, especially convictions or charges that have to do with offenses against a child, okay? So notwithstanding everything I just said for the last few minutes about all the evidence you can bring in and the preference of the child and the examination of the parties and who can do parenting, if you got a, one of the parents that was convicted of recklessly endangering the welfare of a child or stalking, kidnapping, Um, things like this involuntary deviant sexual uh, intercourse these are huge bombs huge things that the court is going to consider the court has to consider before they make a custody order Um, I didn't want to leave you without uh, letting you know that either before or after you get a custody order sometimes people want to move sometimes people want to move to Florida or move to New Jersey or move across county lines Um, The issue of relocation of parents is a big thing in the courts. Just like I talked about grandparents' rights earlier, child custody relocation is probably a topic that we could have its very own podcast or articles on. Again, there are articles dedicated to this. There's a whole series of requirements that parents have to do before they're allowed to relocate with their children. Um, And that is uh, in the statute um and like i said it could be the subject of another um, whole uh, seminar the one thing i want to leave you with today is that parents are simply just not allowed to relocate okay so if you have a custody order or if indeed you've never even been to court before one parent is is not effectively allowed to just get up and move with the child if it frustrates your ability to see your children so let's talk about this one two ways and i just want to illustrate what a relocation is um, if you're separated and you've never been to court and you two have been able to agree on your custody order and everybody's happy uh, and you see your child four nights a week and you get to see the children on the off week for two dinners and the children routinely sleep over your house and everybody's happy just be- and you're just separated, if the one parent says, I'm moving with the children to Florida, all right? then obviously that move is going to substantially impact your relationship with your children. Makes sense, all right? You're not allowed to do that, okay? Um, The one parent can actually go to court and prevent your ability to do that, and you'll have a custody case, and that'll really be the main issue, along with all the other issues we talked about, the factors. Or if you are a family that's operating under a custody order already. It'll say right in the custody order, nobody's allowed to relocate with the children unless you come back to court. Um, in the context of relocation, there's notice that has to be given. There are special uh, documents that have to be filed. You have to tell the other party when they're going to see their children. You got to let them know where you're going. Again, a whole nother seminar could be on this. I just want to leave folks today with the um, the knowledge that you can't just move if you if you feel like it. Um, another big uh, topic that people ask about is jurisdiction. Okay, which, what court should we be in? Should we be in Pennsylvania or should we be in New Jersey? Um, if, we're, if we're both Pennsylvania residents, should we be in Bucks County or should we be in Philadelphia County? Um, venue, that's called venue. These are questions that are usually handled typically on the front end of any custody dispute. In fact, the law says that the, the court has to agree with those before they go ahead and start making custody orders. Jurisdiction is another one. It might not need its own seminar, but it's definitely something that you want to talk to your lawyer about. Um, In fact, it's going to be one of the first things the lawyer finds out when he starts to ask you questions about where do you live? Um, Where does the other person live? Where did the children go to school? Any lawyer is going to immediately start thinking jurisdiction when he hears the answers to those questions. The court might very well find that you don't need to be there. You need to be in another place, another court. To be talking about custody issues so that is essentially child custody in pennsylvania Um, there's a lot more that probably we could talk about and even after hearing this if you're somebody that's considering or in the middle of a child custody dispute um, you're considering separating you're considering how this is going to go we would stress that you probably you know certainly read any information that you can get your hands on maybe listen to podcasts but, but you must run these issues, your, your specific issues, by an attorney that has the experience doing this, especially an attorney in the court where you're probably going to be appearing. I'd like to thank you for taking this time with me today, and I hope we have um, answered any questions that you might have on child custody in Pennsylvania. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in and listening to Let's Talk Family Law. We hope you join us next month for another episode. If you would like to listen to this podcast again, share it with others, or tune into other episodes in the series, please visit our website at www.wglaw.com.